0: It is great to be here this evening. Appreciate again to the elders here the invitation to be able to speak for you and spend this week together. We thoroughly have enjoyed it thus far. Uh, I told Brother Clark it seems like it's not just Tuesday already. We've uh, There's been a lot of work and a lot of time put in by all of you guys this time and, and it's just Tuesday. So we're uh, rolling right along. We've been talking about a theme this week. And that is that we're part of a family. And we've been looking at that from several different angles. Sunday morning we talked about the fact that we have an individual responsibility in the family of God. Uh, and that we are a part of a local body of Christians. So we're a part of that family, a church family. Uh, we're also a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ in its larger capacity. Meaning we're the church of the firstborn, a, a chosen people, a peculiar nation, etc., and so uh, all of those different things we've been looking at from family, relationship, responsibilities, etc. And we've talked some to fathers and mothers, etc. But tonight I want to talk to you about something that's near and dear to my heart. And I've entitled it, uh, Being a Christ-Centered Family. And there's a passage in Proverbs chapter 6, verse number 20. that says, My son, keep thy father's commandment, forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, the law is a light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Very simply, if I looked at that passage of Scripture and wanted to glean meaning out of that passage, it's good to have a mom and dad that give you instruction, teach you the things that you need to know, and those instructions will help you in life. All the different aspects of life. And I specifically this evening have entitled this aspect of this sermon important things that I would want my family to know when I was gone and um, Lisa and I have told you as we've uh, visited over the last or had sermons over the last few weeks had four daughters and those four daughters are all out of college and all school teachers they're all married they've we've got sons-in-law that are a part of our family now and and uh, we've got grandchildren that are a part of our family so when we have a get-together at Thanksgiving it's a table full of people and it's a lot of people that that have a lot of discussion about life and different things related to life. And Lisa and I experienced going through those years of trying to teach our children. And when I talk about these things tonight, I want you to know, I hope my children know them while I'm here. I guess that's why I built a sermon. And it may be that Lisa and I have gotten to the age of life when we're not looking at winter time, but we're probably in the fall of life in the sense that our kids are out of the house, we're empty nesters, uh, the dog has died, we can go anywhere we want to go when we want to go, and not have to worry about what's happening and who's letting the dog out and all that sort of stuff. It's all kind of behind us and, and our kids are taking care of their responsibilities, etc. And we're kind of at that stage of life when maybe we're looking back to some degree or another and reflecting on those child raising years and what we did right or what we did wrong or things we should have done and maybe have some regrets but yet uh, very proud of our kids in a lot of ways and Uh, So anyway, that being said, I think you'll get the idea of the sermon this evening, but these are things, there's going to come a time when Ty's lying horizontally in a casket, and there's going to be a preacher at his funeral, and that preacher's going to say some things. Now, we jokingly in our family have said that what I want said at my funeral is, look, he moved, and you'll get it next week sometime, but... But point is, is that we jokingly have said that. In fact, Hannah, I promise y'all, if y'all are at my funeral, Hannah, at some point in time, will say, look, he moved. I promise you that will happen. Uh, we have joked about that for years. But you know, the reality is we want somebody to stand up behind the casket and say something over our, uh, over our life and about our life. And we'd like our life to have some meaning. We'd like it to have some significance. And, and you would hope that your children or, Uh, I tell you what, I always thought that I would have certain people, uh, you know, I told Lisa, I said, if I died, I'd want these people to preach a funeral and that kind of thing. And I totally changed my mind after I went to Tex Monk's funeral. Tex Monk had his sons-in-law, he didn't, but his family had his son and sons-in-law get up there. And I really think that's what I would want to have happen. I think I'd like my sons-in-law to stand up and, and say the stuff that mattered to them, or maybe, hopefully, there would be some stuff that mattered to them. But I want to talk to you tonight about, we raise kids, and I want to talk to you about the things I would want my children to know when I was gone. And number one, you can see it is that I would want them most, first and foremost, to live a Christ-centered life. And recognize the importance of focusing every decision, where you go to school, where you go to work, all of those things, where you go to church, everything around a relationship with Christ. And what Christ, what God would want for them uh matthew or excuse me mark chapter 12 verse number 30 thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart with all thy mind with all thy soul with all thy strength this is the first and greatest commandment this is the first commandment the second he said was like unto it thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself and i hope first and foremost my kids have seen in our life and what we've seen in the decisions we've made and i hope they would know after you're gone that's what i would want for them because it's a blessed life, that they would put their priorities in the right place. And and that is a struggle for all families, for moms and dads and kids, etc., to keep a balance of those things, but yet at the same time, keep the priorities where they're supposed to be. And I would want that with my children. Number two, I would want my children to live life, to be all in. I've seen some people, in, and in our congregation, we've experienced some tragedy in the last several years. And uh, my brother lost his wife. She was killed in a car wreck, and... And a lot of kids left behind as well. They still had four children at home. And uh, I'll tell you from a congregational standpoint, that's a tragedy to have something like that happen. It just is a, it's a challenge. And let me tell you, sometimes it's difficult for people to pick themselves back up after a tragedy like that and go live life. Life is intended to be lived. And you know, I would expect that if I died that my children would grieve. And that's natural, that's a part of the life process and mourning process, there's a natural grieving process that ought to be there. But at some point in time, I want them to lift their head up. And I want them to go live life. I would want that for them. I, I don't want them to be frozen up in life and always caught up in the drama of what happened or frozen in the tragedy that where their life just froze up for a period of time and they couldn't see it. And I will promise you, I've been through some tragedies in our own uh, world at times, uh, and I could tell you about some of those tragedies, probably will for the weeks over. But uh, but some of those tragedies, you have a tendency to get very foggy during those tragedies. And I look back at some of those experiences and realize that a lot of things froze up. I don't remember a lot of stuff that happened when because what focused your brain was the tragedy. Where your energies were focused was the tragedy. Every decision you made related to the tragedy, etc. And I wouldn't want my children to know after I was gone, live life. And not only just live life, live a full life. Enjoy life. Life is is here to be lived and to be enjoyed. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 23. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as in the Lord and not in the men. Okay? And I hope my children would know that. Number three, I would want my children to worship God with everything they've got. And now again, I hope they've seen that in our life to begin with. But if I'm gone, enjoy worship. When the songs are sung, sing. When the prayers are prayed, Pray. When the teaching is being done, learn. Take the opportunity. Uh, we, we miss so many opportunities that are in front of us where I just think of experiences that I had growing up with Bud Jones teaching on the family and things like that that have influenced me and made a difference in my life. And, and Brother Michael and I were talking to this last couple of weeks, you know, that sometimes a person may not see the influence or the example or they don't recognize the power of what it is that they've done. But the reality is, Bud Jones has influenced me. He's influenced my life. Jay Henderson has influenced me, has influenced my life. The preaching and teaching and things that I do, a lot of times are regurgitations of things that I've been instructed or taught by other people. They mean something. And what I'm saying to my family is, go live life and go worship God in joy. And you can't walk into a church building. There are some people that get frozen up. Maybe they lose a spouse or something. They go, I just can't walk into that church building because I just have so many memories of my husband or I have so many memories of a, well, hopefully they're good memories. You know, maybe they're, uh, or at least intentionally, or, or at least the intention would be that my children would walk into a church building and that they would go, yeah, dad led songs here or preached here. Or, Or led prayers here. And yes, there's a lot of memories there. And yes, maybe that would bring tears to your eyes in some ways. But in other ways, weren't those good memories? That we had those times and those hours and those years and opportunities, etc. To learn those things. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is from the fruit of our lips or that the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Let our mouths praise him for all the things he's done. God has not promised me a tomorrow. God has not promised me to be 100 years old. God's not promised any of, us, any of us those things. Let's enjoy the things that God has given us. Give thanks for those things. Let's worship him and praise him and thank him for the things that he's given us and not get frozen up maybe in the fact that we've lost or that we're grieving or that we're suffering in some way. Another thing I'd want my children to know is that family time is important. And don't be too busy to spend time with your family. Lisa and I, when we were early married, didn't have two nickels. Who we could rub together hardly and had enough money to, to be able to go do anything. But uh, our kids were little and, and we weren't making much money and we were just trying to, you know, feed kids and, and survive the month and all that kind of stuff. But we made a decision that we were going to go take a, a vacation and it was going to be a cheap vacation. It was called, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with a nice chest. And, we, and I tell you what we did, we went to Huntsville State Park. And we loaded up bicycles in the back of the truck and, and a perfect vacation for me, I'm kind of weird this way, but would be to read a book for a week. I mean, I love reading and that would be like the perfect vacation for me. Other people want to do stuff. I've got a sister-in-law that at eight o'clock in the morning's got a schedule, at ten's got a schedule, at twelve you got to be here for lunch and the, you know, at two we've got plans and four we got plans. That is not a vacation to me. That's my life. I want I want a vacation. I want to sit back, read, and enjoy, and relax, and that kind of thing. Perfect vacation. Well, we did a lot of the above. Our kids rode bicycles at Huntsville State Park, and, and Lisa uh, would enjoy family time, play with the kids. I'd read some. i spent time with the kids, et cetera. But when that week was over, we came back home, and Lisa and I looked at each other and said, there's not going to be to the best of our ability a year go by that we don't stop long enough. To spend some time together as a family and if I were recommended to you young families take some time to enjoy your family I'm telling you it's opportunities like that that mold that bond together families it gives stories we still sit around the dinner table to this day and talk about those experiences and I recognize vacations cost money and and all those it, it doesn't have to cost a lot of money though folks You don't have to go on the brightest, grandest, whatever. You don't have to go to to Disney World and throw $100 bills up in the air to still spend some time as a family enjoying time together. And I want you to notice the words of Jesus, Mark 6, verse number 31. He said, Come yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. You know what Jesus was telling his disciples? Stop long enough. Smell the roses. Stop long enough. Take some time. to Rest It's important to rejuvenate from time to time. Now, in our culture, we struggle with that because we got folks that worship their play. I mean, it's every weekend. Work is a side note to what can we do to play. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we get so focused on vacation and we can't recognize responsibilities in life. But I am saying we do need to take those opportunities as families to bond together, and to build those stories and and the things that help families hold together uh, through good times and through bad times. Number five, I would want my family to share Christ with others. I would want them to have an evangelistic spirit. And I think I see that in my children. James 5, verse number 20 says, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. There's not any mission, any higher or, or calling, any greater than for you to share the gospel with others and to bring others to Christ. And I hope that my children know that when I'm gone, that that's a mission of theirs. I think I see it in their lives today. I'm proud of them in that. They're concerned about the church and concerned about those kind of things, turning their heart to, to good things related to what the church wants to do. But I, I'm saying that I hope my children know that, but I want them to know it when I'm gone. Share Christ with others. You've been blessed with somebody that shared the gospel with you. You share the gospel with others along the way. Another thing I would want my children to know after I'm gone, and I hope they know it now, is that I love every one of them with all my heart. And I, I still see my girls today, and, and I kiss them on the cheek, and I hug their neck, and I tell them I love them. And I do love them. I grew up in a generation that it was different. I'm not being critical of it. It was different. My dad didn't say, I love you a whole lot. I'm not saying my dad didn't love me. My dad did love me, and I knew that. My dad kind of came from a generation of people that believed if you worked hard every day and you came home every evening, you loved your family. You provided for them, and that kind of thing. It's just kind of the generation that they lived in. I'm telling you dads, tell your children you love them, and tell your daughters you love them, tell your sons you love them. And I tell you, I love my children with all my heart. I hope they know that now. I think they do, but I certainly want them to know it. Um, after I'm long and gone, Psalm one twenty-three, or Psalm, sorry, Psalm one twenty-seven, verse number three: "Low children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward." You know what children are? They're a heritage of the Lord. You know, I've seen young families that did not enjoy being with their kids. They look for every opportunity to get their kids with somebody else. Or if there's any way we could dump these kids off and get them out of our hair. Oh, my kids are in my hair. I, the, the day's awful because the kids are here. And, and absolutely do not enjoy life. And I want to tell you, Lisa and I enjoyed our kids. We truly enjoyed them. We enjoyed them being with us. We enjoyed the, the interaction. We enjoyed driving down the road. We enjoyed the intellectual discussions and all that. We had a great time. And we truly enjoyed our kids. We loved our kids. And I hope my children know that. And I hope your children know that from you as well. Another thing I'd want my children to know is that I loved their mother. And their mother was a godly woman. And is a godly woman. And I tell you, I want my children to know I loved them. And loved her. And cared for her. And I hope they've seen that exemplified in my life. I hope they've seen that I cherish her and care for her. Etc. And I promise you, I'm not always the husband I should be. I, I I need to improve in those ways, but I hope my children know I love her and that she's a godly woman and she cares about the church and spiritual things. She cares for her husband as well. We mentioned it um, last night. But the greatest thing, uh, uh, the little plaque, the greatest thing a man can do uh for his children is to love their mother, and I believe that with all my heart. Uh, I'm telling you, we've got to have some strong family units uh, in our churches that are raising up good, strong children that have spiritual direction in their lives. And one of the best things you can do is to not be a part of the 50-whatever-percent divorce rate and the challenges and chaos in your home, etc. If you can have love in your home and moms and dads loving one another and taking care of those responsibilities, it is huge to the unity and the sanctity and the sanity of of your family i promise you proverbs 31 verse over 10 who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies and i told you the other night i think i found one that was i was far better than what i thought i mean i knew i was looking for a godly woman and i knew i was looking for somebody who cared about christ etc but i what i found far exceeded that her price is far above rubies certainly have met somebody and have married somebody that um, truly cares about God. And I appreciate that in her. Number eight, you know, one of the things I'd want my family to know when I was gone is that I'm very proud of my sons-in-law and their spiritual leadership and direction for my daughters. And I want to tell you guys, especially if your uh, daughters or if your father's a daughters, you know this. But when our first daughter got married, I bawled through the entire wedding. The second wedding, our second daughter got married, I cried all the way through the wedding. The third one, my eyes watered all the way through the wedding. And the fourth one, I was skipping down the aisle ready to, you know, let's move on. It was time, you know, that she got married. But I would tell you that raising girls... These boys have a way of showing up and coming into your life. And, and there were times that there were boyfriends that came and they got close to, our family got close to them, and then they broke up. You're going, what happened? Bring that guy back. We like that guy. You know, we want that guy to come back. But we ended up with some very fine young sons-in-law. And i tell you what's difficult for dads. It's difficult to give the hand of your daughter into the hand of another man to be responsible for her. And to lead her. And to be spiritually responsible for her. And if you're a son-in-law and you're here, I promise you the one thing your father-in-law wants. A lot of times there's a strained dynamic between father-in-laws and sons-in-law. For whatever reason, it's a challenge. But I promise you, son-in-laws or sons-in-law, if you you really want to know what will make your father-in-law happy, he may not tell you because he may men have struggle with telling you what's on their mind and telling you their deepest inner thoughts men don't do that a lot of times but i'm telling you what makes a man happy if you're his son-in-law and tell you what it is you take care of his daughter that'll make him happy and i promise you that's the case i'm very proud of my sons-in-law i've I'm not saying that every decision and everything has been rosy. We've never had conflict. I'm not insinuating that at all, but I'm very proud of those young men. They are spiritually directed. They want to live for Christ. They want to lead their families. I've seen my daughter. I tell you, one of the saddest things to me as a dad is my little girls used to look up at me, and I was their hero. I mean, they just, their eyes were this big. They loved me, and I saw that same look to another man that they ultimately married, Don't get me wrong, it's natural, it ought to happen that way, but I'm telling you as a dad, it's tough. It is tough to see your daughter look at another man that's, that's my hero, this is my guy. Man, look at the decisions he makes. He's amazing, you know, when they used to look at you that way. My girls still love me and I love them and I care about them. I'm not in any way being cruel and I'm not being cruel to my sons-in-law, I promise you I'm not. In fact, I built a sermon and put this point in here to let them know I appreciate what it is they do for my daughters. They're, they're fantastic young men. Uh, we've commented and, and joked in the past that it's amazing how such worthless son-in-laws can make the greatest grandchildren. It's, it's very impressive. Uh, Proverbs 17 and verse number 6. Children's children are the crown of old men and the glory of children are their father's. You know, children's children, that's my kids' kids, that's my grandkids. That's right there in that verse. And I want to tell you, that's the crown of old men. I'm not an old man, but I'm telling you, being a granddad's a big thing. That's that's nice stuff. That's good times. But you know, the glory of the children are their fathers. That's my sons-in-law. That's, my, that's the men that are leading those grandchildren and influencing those grandchildren and trying to bring up those grandchildren. You want to make a father-in-law happy? Take care of those grandchildren and take care of that daughter, and I'll be the proudest father-in-law in the world to have that kind of a son-in-law that cares. Now, you want to start trying to abuse my daughter. You want to try to use, and et cetera, and you're creating chaos in a home and all that sort of stuff. I don't feel the same way, but I'm telling you, when you're a son-in-law and you're doing the kind of things that are right and good for a family, I promise you, you're making a father a good father-in-law. You're making him proud in a million ways. Number nine, one of the things I'd want my children to know when when I was gone is how important humility is in their life, or ought to be in their life. I'm telling you, egos destroy. i told you all that we've got four kids, four son-in-law, six grandchildren. We all sit around the table. I'm telling you, if you're eat up with ego and pride, you don't last very long around that table. I'm telling you, you're going to have your feelings hurt in pretty short order if you're stuck on ego. If you've just got a chip on your shoulder and you're just, go ahead, knock it off, and just waiting on somebody to offend you, you're going to stay offended when there's that many people around. You just will. Even I, I'm head of my household, whatever that means. I can't control every word that comes out of every mouth in a family that size. It's impossible to do. We're depending on these people to live after the, the image and, the, and mold themselves and make themselves after the image of Jesus Christ. And say the things that they need to say and that kind of thing. But if you're caught up in ego and you're caught up in me, me, I, I, it doesn't work very well in a big family. And I'll be honest with you, it's pride that destroys in so many ways. It's pride that, that destroys a, a husband that gets eat up with pride and, and starts to abuse his wife or walk on his wife or et cetera. That's pride, that's ego. It's pride that destroys. Pride will affect you in so many ways in life. And if you can recognize how important it is that Christ showed us humility and that we need to learn to be humble, that we're not trying to be on top of people and walk over people, we actually incorporate the principles of humility in our life. Your life will be blessed. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud. You know this verse, don't you? God resisteth the proud and he giveth grace to the humble. God loves humility. God does not like ego and pride. God loves humility. And the last thing, well, it's not the last thing. The next thing that I want to visit with you about is that I would want my children to know after I've gone that I'm truly sorry for my weaknesses. And I want to tell you that My desire down deep in my heart is to serve Christ and to show that image of Christ to my family. But I promise you, I've made mistakes along the way. And I know my weaknesses. Some of those, I've shared some of those with you today and shared all of them. (laughs) We would be here a while. Um, But I've shared some of those with you. I have weaknesses and and struggles that that I have to work on in my own life. And I want to tell you what is really tough as a parent as you look back at, at your children have developed and they're out on their own is I see some of the struggles that my children go through. And I see some of the things they're challenged with and difficulties that they're dealing with, etc. And guess what? A ton of them, I gave them. I see myself in them. I see my weaknesses in them. And I I truly want to hug their neck and go, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Because that was not my intention to do that. But I'm telling you, kids are smart and they're sharp and they pick up and they see and they emulate and they develop into their characteristics and their character, etc. A lot of those things about their mom and their dad. And I want to tell you, it's a good thing they had a mom because they got a, some good side of them as well. But they they ch- they're challenged on, on some weak sides. And some of those things are the very things I have to deal with. And and it's a struggle for them. And I feel bad for them. And some of that's because of my weaknesses. I want them to know that I'm sorry. You know, we made mistakes along the way. There's, I could, the one that comes to mind all the time is the fact that one day uh, I told y'all I struggle with patience. Well, um, one day I jumped in my truck, and I, we had a rule around our house: you don't park your bicycles behind the, the vehicles. There's a reason for that rule. I park I put the vehicle, the truck in reverse, and I backed up, backed over a bicycle. I jumped out of the truck, saw that it was a bicycle. I was ticked, and I went to the front door and opened up the front door, and I said, whose bicycle is this behind the truck? And April said, it's mine. I said, come here. I popped her across the bottom, and I said, how many times have I told you not to park your bicycle the truck? She said, I wasn't riding it. Timothy was. Timothy was in my living room. Timothy's eyes were this big. <laughs> Timothy wasn't, but, you know, however, bike riding age, eight years old or something. His eyes were that big. And I said, Timothy, were you riding that bicycle? Yes, sir. And I said, don't park the bicycles behind the truck. But I told, you know, I got down on my knee and I kneeled in front of April. And I said, I'm sorry. You know why she got a spanking that day? Because her dad was ticked. Not because she needed discipline. Her dad was ticked. Her dad was impatient. Her dad didn't listen to the whole story. I said, I'm sorry, April. I owe you one. I'll make it up to you. Somewhere I'll make it up to you. And I don't think April ever got another spanking the rest of her life because every time she got in trouble, she would go, you know you owe me one. I've got a free pass. (laughs) And you remember that time you gave me that spanking I didn't deserve. And probably rightfully so because Ty needed to learn a lesson. I really am truly sorry for the weaknesses. You look back over the experiences and, and there are just things that we made mistakes along the way. Not claiming to be perfect of those things. Parents, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make some mistakes along the way. But don't be too proud. Bow the knee before your kids. Say you're sorry. That's the repentance thing we talked about on Monday or yesterday at lunch as well. Psalm 51, I think about that, the psalmist David, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy holy spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of thy f- salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. I love that last phrase. You know what he's saying? Give me back the joy that I had. When I knew salvation was there and keep me there. Uphold me with our free spirit. Keep me there. Don't let me fall. What an attitude of the psalmist David. Very humble spirit before God. Very repentant heart. Says I am so sorry for what it is that I've done. I truly regret it. I do not want to do it again. I want to make any reparations that need to be made. or restoration that needs to be made. And the last thing I would want my children to know is I want to see them in heaven. I talked to you a little bit last night about some glimpses in Scripture, about will we know one another in heaven? I think we will. I may be wrong. I, again, I told you last night that uh, I've not been there and back, so I don't know. But there are glimpses in Scripture, and I want to show you another one tonight. Genesis chapter 25 and verse number 8. This passage says, Abraham gave up the ghost. He died in a good old age, an old man in full of years, and was gathered to his people. Now, if you'll do some research about that, you know, Abraham was not buried in the sepulcher of his fathers. He wasn't buried in the same land, even. Abraham, though, was gathered to his people. There is some hope in Scripture that we will see our loved ones in heaven. And I tell you, I don't know your family history, and our family history has some interesting uh, um, bends and turns in it. But there was one little old lady in our family that lost her husband in 1947. That was my grandmother, my dad's mother. My dad's dad died when he was seven years old. My dad may not have been everything a father ought to be to a child. Maybe. I'm not everything a father. I'm not being critical of him. I love my dad. But I give my dad a ton of credit for the fact that my dad didn't have a dad. And His dad died when he was seven, and he was essentially the child of his mother's older years. His mom was 42 when he was seven years old, and his mom never remarried, and he grew up in her household till he graduated high school, and then he got married, had kids, had four boys. That's I was number three of those four boys and grew up in that family. But that little old lady meant a lot to me. We called her Maw." She meant a lot to me. I was there by her bedside when she took her last breath. She taught me a lot about life. Spent a lot of time at her house. She's a very special person. She was the grandmother of grandmothers, if you know what I mean. She knew how to be a grandmother. She knew how to really make a grandchild feel special. That was my grandmother. There's hope to be gathered to my people someday. You know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says that when people die, we shouldn't sorrow as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even those which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Do you recognize the hope that the Apostle Paul has given to the church at Thessalonica? There's hope of being gathered to your people. You're going to be able to see. Those folks again. That's what I believe. You can disagree with me. That's okay. After service is over. We can have that discussion. But there's little glimpses in scripture. That's what that hope was talking about. That there's hope. It's not hope like somebody's dead in the grave. And dead forever. And never see them again. And and all of life is over. But there's hope beyond this grave. That we continue to live. And I want to tell you. There's going to come a time. I'm lying in a casket. And the life is going to be out of my body. They're going to lower my body down into the grave. I want my children to put Christ first and live life and be Christ-centered. I want my children to know that I didn't think I was perfect. And I want my children to know that I was sorry for the mistakes I made along the way. I want my children to know that I really, truly did have a heart to want to serve God. I loved their mother. And I want them to enjoy life and go live life and don't get froze up on what they might consider to be a tragedy, that they grieve, a natural grieving process, but then move on with life. We'll see each other again someday. I'll hope to see each other again someday. If you're here this evening and you've never obeyed a call to the gospel, you've never been baptized into Christ, you do not share that same hope. You do not share a hope of a resurrection to life. And I want to talk to you tonight for just a moment and remind you there is a hope, but you have to be in Christ to do that. That little grandmother I talked about? She's a Christian lady. That little grandmother I talked about was a woman that turned her life to God and raised her kids up to be God-fearing. That little woman I was talking to about, that little grandmother, was the godliest woman I've ever known. I mean, she absolutely lived it every day. That's the woman I hope to see someday. Now, in reality, compared to seeing Christ and God, I may not even that may not be a big thought for me at that stage in time. I don't know. But I have hope in this life of that. And I have hope of a resurrection unto life. That my body is just not a body that's lying down in a grave that's going to be decayed and destroyed and life is over. We're going to see each other again someday. And I pray for that. And I want to tell you tonight as we sing this invitation song. If you're not in Christ, you need to be in Christ. And you need to put the priorities in your life to serve God and, and, and keep those priorities right and live life and enjoy what life has to offer. And I tell you, there are blessings at the end of this thing. There are, there's joy beyond compare that is promised to the Christian. Eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things God's prepared for him. If the church can help you this evening, we want to do that. Won't you come while we stand and sing the song that's been selected?